Devcast, uh, we are back, and today with two guests, uh, Magnus Mortensen, as you know from before, from other podcasts, and my favorite Italian guy, Vittorio Bertocci. Welcome, hey, Vittorio. Buongiorno. <laughs> buongiorno. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and especially here in Sweden, it's special about Italian now. We have the, you know, the, what what do you call it in English? The Eurovision contest, and we saw the English uh, girl. Uh, do, do you see the Eurovision contest in, in the States? Um, I think that it made waves uh, just yesterday, uh-huh. mostly because of the potential political significance. So yeah. the American media covered it, but uh, I believe that normally that it actually goes largely unnoticed here. But for that reason, I think that uh, this time instead it did get some attention. It's, it's the same with Super Bowl over here in Europe. Yeah. None yeah, is watching yes, that. Yeah. We, we hardly, yeah, like, we hardly noticed that it happened. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, that happened. There you go. <laughs> so, Magnus, you will be my co-host today. And, Magnus, yes. what uh, should we... Maybe we should uh, ask Vittorio first to introduce yourself. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, Vittorio, who are you? More than you are Italian with long black hair. Long black hair, which are getting more and more white <laughs> as we speak. But <laughs> I guess that's... Uh, the entropy arrow. But anyway, my, as I mentioned, my name is Vittorio Bertocci, and I'm currently a program manager here in Redmond in the Active Directory team, where I look after developer experience. I've been spending about eight, nine years here in Microsoft Corporation, and before that, I was working in Microsoft Italy in the consultancy business. And I've been spending the first few years here in the evangelism team, where I was looking after distributed systems and identity. And I had my opportunity to uh, meet with lots of customers and spend uh, a lot of time, uh, I'd say, explaining our technology. And uh, that was uh, great because uh, I got the opportunity of uh, feeling the pain that the customers have in this area. And so two, three years ago, I made the choice to move to the engineering team and bring back all that experience. And so in the last two, three years, we've been overhauling our offering. So from Windows Identity Foundation to uh, new uh, libraries that do the same, new libraries that run on multiple platforms, Windows, Windows Store, iOS, Android, that help you to obtain a token when you write a client, and in general, a modernization of our stack. So that's pretty much what my day job is uh, these days. And Magnus, before you, you start uh, asking uh, questions about what, what was happening right now, uh, Vittorio, can, can you give us a short history of, of security in uh, on the Windows platform? Because it has happened very, very much these 10 years. Uh, can you maybe, maybe it's a too big a question for you, but do you understand? I'm interested in what we have done and uh, yeah, what, what have happened in the security space and identity space? Ha, no question, it's too big for me. I can always make up stuff. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but here, luckily, there's no need to making up stuff because as you say, really a lot of stuff happened in the last 10 years. And in fact, uh, I would scope this down, if you don't mind, to identity rather than security. Otherwise, uh, we'd need uh, four or five hours. And also, right. I would not know uh, as much as I, as I can contribute instead of the identity side. I'd say that uh, uh, identity was always one of the central uh, tenets of uh, any platform. And especially as uh, um, 
the number of assets that people uh, worked with grew in uh, size, uh, in number, and in types, uh, the, I, I, the ability to know who was uh, the user trying to access a certain resource uh, became uh, more and more important and more and more complicated. So if you think uh, times back uh, like to the classic uh, Windows 95 or DOS and similar in the era of personal computing, basically uh, all the resources that you had to access were on your machine. And so pretty much the fact that you'd have a physical access to the machine was what determined that you could have access to your documents and all of that stuff. And then uh, computers started to be brought up into local networks to collaborate and to share resources. The classic scenario would be like the printer. There is uh, one printer in the office. You don't need to have a printer for every employee. And that uh, started showing the first, um, let's say, requirements for having uh, a repository of all the identity of all the employees uh, in a specific work group. And uh, then the operating system adapted by starting to have the capabilities for dealing with the network and understand uh, users also when they are accessing resources beyond their machine. And so then, then uh, we... so then was the the prime time for Novell and that that kind of business, well, in the absolutely, yeah, Novell and uh, Unix in general. Back mm -hmm. at the time, I was in my nice university in Geneva doing my my uh, um, master degree. And uh, I was mostly working on uh, Linux uh, and on Silicon Graphics. And uh, I remember all the various uh, fun setups for having the users uh, roam across things uh, and like uh, in general access from uh, any workstation. So clearly it was a time in which uh, the local network was of uh, paramount importance. And, and uh, was, then it was just uh, the username password. Yes, yeah. user, most definitely username and password and uh, network software, which would understand that uh, beyond the specific machine. And then that was also the time in which uh, NT came out, NT and the notion of domain controller, and in general, from uh, all the various uh, uh, homebrew solutions in which uh, every application would have uh, its own list of users, we moved uh, to a, a situation in which uh, uh, you could have a centralized place where you could describe all of your users and all of your assets. And that was like the famous domain controller in which uh, you'd have uh, like the emergence of this new network standard, Kerberos, which uh, allowed you to uh, access different resources uh, uh, for the network using different users. And this was a great, great uh, uh, advancement at the time because uh, these uh, allowed uh, application developers to focus on uh, what their application should do instead of focusing on identity management. At the same time, it gave a place, a central place where everybody could uh, write their own policies and rely upon for authentication. And uh, in fact, these, uh, uh, I have to say, triggered the explosion of a network software and uh, all the various uh, big uh, box uh, tools that we are working with today. Like, uh, I'd say that the exchange, for example, is like... Uh, so, so, so this is the birth of, of the Active Directory, or? That is exactly right. Was it called Active Directory from the beginning, or uh, was it called something else? Um, I think that, uh, well, Active Directory came out in something like 2009 or so. It no, was... well, sorry, 2000, uh, 2004. Yeah, but it was a pretty early. Like uh, uh, I remember, actually, uh, wait, early two thousands. 
I, I don't remember because at the time when it came out, I was a, a Unix person, mostly a Unix person. So uh, I, uh, I started working on that uh, with Windows 2000. Windows 2000 was the first time that I started working on, uh, on Windows environment. But uh, anyway, the main thing was at the time, uh, mostly, mostly uh, the intranet was the highest order bit. And as you mentioned, the novel and all these guys had uh, network capabilities, which eventually became part of the operating system. But then the other, um, the other important thing is that uh, the internet came out and uh, established itself uh, as the new uh, playground. And uh, more and more functionality started being uh, delivered through the internet and uh, more and more scenarios entailed uh, collaboration that uh, went beyond your intranet. There was a starting a talk about extranet and federated partners and similar. And so the requirement of signing in beyond the boundaries of your um, network became more and more prevalent. And so at the time, the industry faced uh, the problem of having to cross boundaries that were both physical boundaries, as in connecting different networks, but also platform boundaries. Like, for example, you could have a company completely based on Sun and another company completely based on uh, Windows NT. And so in order to collaborate, a number of uh, um, platform agnostic protocols were uh, devised. And specifically, I'm talking about the SAML protocol, which was designed to uh, allow you to do sign-in using a browser across uh, disparate domains. And uh, it described how to do this sign-in without relying uh, on the network layer, whereas Kerberos really worked at a really low level, like TCP packages. And uh, some all, uh, you could work directly with bindings, which would work at the HTTP level. And uh, so uh, that uh, part of the industry was born, like you started talking about the federation, they started hearing about claims-based identity. And uh, at first, the visa was devised as a way for business-to-business uh, uh, -business collaboration. And then as things evolved, a number of other protocols came out, like uh, protocols for uh, accessing programmatically uh, uh, resources, so we had uh, various other variants you might have heard about, like the WSTAR era, in which uh, there were many protocols that were devised for using uh, web services, like having a rich client or having a backend talk to another backend. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, I was a SOA expert at that time, so I, I worked with the, the, the STAR, uh, the star uh, protocol. So. All right, so you are familiar with that part. Yeah. And uh, that uh, was, uh, let's say, an uh, important moment because, of course, uh, these uh, uh, introduced a number of new requirements which uh, the industry had to face. But uh, at the same time, like uh, given that uh, things were accelerating, on top of that revolution was uh, yet another revolution, which was uh, websites talking to each other. Instead of having uh, rich clients or backends talking to each other, uh, more and more uh, applications started to serve uh, content in a form that could be consumed not just using a browser, but also using things like uh, the DOM, like the page programming model offered by HTML and JavaScript. And so you started seeing uh, Ajax-based solutions in which uh, web pages expose the resources also in formats that could be consumed semi-programmatically from pages. And this gave rise to the REST movement, which was significantly simpler to access uh, than uh, the WSTAR web services. 
It was, of course, also much simpler, but, and it didn't have security features. But uh, as uh, the common uh, Internet users started getting used to uh, have uh, identities across multiple providers, and these providers started trying to exchange functionality. So a classic, uh, if I go on Fitbit and I reach a certain goal, I want uh, this goal to be automatically tweeted. So how do I actually manage to have this communication? And so uh, spontaneously, various uh, providers came out with uh, ways of uh, communicate and give delegated access to their resources without exchanging their credentials. And so you know where I'm going with this. The, or the OAuth uh, standard was born at the time yeah. so that people could uh, exchange uh, these uh, high-level delegation capabilities. And after the wild period in which everybody used that pattern, but... Uh, in a non-standardized fashion, then came the standardization. And then on top of that, given that many companies used this capability, it was really, was really for delegated authorization. They started using it also for sign-in, and in doing so, they introduced various custom extensions. Also, after a wild period, now we observed in, uh, to say, a reversion to the mean in which uh, standard bodies took uh, ownership of uh, that specific pattern and introduced the formal way of layering sign-in on top of OAuth. And so we are fast-forwarded to today in which OpenID Connect is the new standard that uh, pretty much uh, all the industry is moving toward and that's uh, the situation that uh, we are dealing with today. So in like five minutes, I think I covered uh, 15 wow. years. Wow, yeah. Okay, now we know everything. Thank you for talking to us. No, kidding. <laughs> wow. That was a great uh, summary. So, Magnus, yeah. what uh, do you think Vittorius is uh, doing today with Asher then? What I think he should be doing with Asher. Which wow. <laughs> should be doing. Um, lots of things, because, I mean, this work will never end. Uh, the, the curious thing uh, now, I think, is that um, TechEd, uh, the TechEd keynote was today, TechEd in Houston. And uh, at that keynote, of course, uh, Microsoft talked about, it was uh, Brad, right? Um, he talked about the, uh, the, the, the unity of two cons concepts, if you will, uh, the uh, uh, mobile uh, space and the cloud space, basically uh, saying that it's not two things, it's, it should really be considered as one thing. And this one thing is actually has, has a common foundational stone, and that is very, very uh, core to the entire space of, of mobility and cloud usage, and that is the Azure Active Directory. It was, it was literally presented like that today uh, at the keynote. And I think that's extremely powerful. Um, so could you possibly, uh, Vittorio, explain to us a little bit about this positioning and, and how, how this fundamental stone is to be, you know, the power of that should be wielded in this space? Absolutely. Uh, as I was mentioning earlier in our little uh, accelerated history, uh, Really, what happened here is that uh, the requirements that uh, we have didn't really change. We need a way of uh, representing uh, the resources that you want to play with and the way in which you want to access them. And the thing that mostly changed is uh, what those resources are and where they live. So whereas a few years ago, your resources were uh, your machines, 
your printers and similar, and uh, your uh, on-premises exchange installation. Now your uh, resources are um, the SaaS applications that your company work with, like uh, Exchange in the Cloud, Office 365, uh, the a set of users that you have, so your directory, and uh, your devices, the devices that you use for accessing such resources. And uh, you have to combine all these with all the possible environments. Like before, when you created an app, uh, you mostly deployed it to your own data center, and then you started to deal with hosts. And now instead, you can deploy pretty much wherever you want. Like you can do it in the public cloud, you can use a platform as a service, you can consolidate using VMs. So in all of those cases, every single time there is an attempt to access such a resource, from a, a device or from a browser or from anything else that you can think of, you always need to know if access should be granted and in what terms, like uh, what are the things that your caller can do. And uh, Azure Active Directory is really Active Directory reimagined for dealing with uh, such a distributed uh, system so that uh, you have one single place where you can maintain your users one single place where you can maintain the description of all the, your resources in all your applications and the intercorrelation that uh, ties those together. Like, uh, can this app access uh, Exchange? Can these access it uh, using full control or only in read mode? Like, uh, you need a place where you describe these so that when access takes place, it doesn't matter if it's uh, taking place from a device or from the code behind, or the web job which is running somewhere, or like from any place, then you have this central place where you can deal with that. And that's both for developers, but also for uh, administrators, because uh, say that an administrator decides to buy a SaaS application. Now, when they buy this SaaS application, they need to integrate this application with their existing environment, with users, with other assets, which they might give delegated access to, like say that you are buying a note, an expense note app. This expense note app needs to have a delegated access to your directory. But perhaps you just want a read mode. You don't want this thing to go and override important things. So in order to uh, enable the administrator to do this, you need a representation of all your assets that works that way. And that is what the Windows Azure ID is. Sorry, I have no longer supposed to say Windows. That is what the Microsoft Azure Active Directory is. is the directory that we use as first parties for describing our own SaaS apps. So when you get your directory and you get Intune or Office 365 or the graphing itself or Azure itself, then you know that uh, those services will take advantage of uh, Azure Active Directory. So that if you go and you add uh, a user in a specific group, then uh, you can leverage that automatically. If you have one user that you want him to use two authentication, two factor off because it's a specially sensitive uh, user, then uh, you know that you have a central place to turn it on and then it will light up in all the first party services. And then if you build on top of this, if when you develop, you take a, uh, advantage of Azure Active Directory, you also take advantage of uh, those settings in your own application. So uh, it is uh, truly uh, the glue that keeps everything together. 
Right. So, 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 so if I a dumb question here, that if I can see the Azure Active Directory as a as a table with uh, um, with usernames and passwords <laughs> in some way. Well, uh, it is one way of seeing it. Yeah, and I can I can use it like that. If I I don't need to, for example, write an, an, my own table with uh, with username and password and so on. So I can use Active Directory to, to store everything there. Can I store other things like uh, the favorite color for that user or something like that in in Azure Directory? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, I would say that uh, considering uh, Azure Active Directory just as a repository of uh, username and passwords would probably be um, not the most efficient way of uh, approaching it. Like you can, uh, of course, do it, but uh, it is uh, naturally what uh, is designed for. Like uh, Azure Active Directory is a directory, so that uh, you have uh, user principles, you have uh, groups where you can put those users, you have a schema which describes your user, you have a relationship between those users. You can say that uh, certain users are all uh, reporting to a specific manager, which in itself reports to another manager. So rather than the credentials in themselves, which might not even be there, like sometimes you can just have a, a projection of your organization, but keep the credentials on premises and not put them in the cloud. Uh, rather than that, uh, the Azure Active Directory is really a description of your organization, which lists all of your users and all of the applications, so not just the users, but also the applications that you want to use. And then uh, when you use the directory, you can take advantage of all these. Uh, and uh, yes, you can also do things like extending the schema so that you can save uh, custom attributes if your Active Directory calls for it. So if, uh, for example, you have a specific attribute which every employee needs to have, like, I don't know, I know that in Scandinavian countries, you have your bank ID, which is like unique to your, uh, to your countries. If uh, you feel that you need to add these to all your users in the Azure ID, you can actually extend the schema and add these extra attributes in there. Right. That's really great. And you were you were alluding to the or have touched upon the uh, the topic of the graph API several times here in this conversation. Maybe you should explain more fundamentally to the uh, audience what the graph API of the Azure Active Directory is, because the graph API did not exist in the on-premise and actually still doesn't exist in the on-premise directory. In fact, what does that correlate to? Absolutely. That is a, an excellent question. Thank you. Uh, the Graph API is uh, a new API which uh, comes with uh, Azure Active Directory, and uh, it is uh, the uh, moral, um, the, like the moral successor of uh, LDAP. In on-premises, you'd have uh, a specific language used for querying the directory, and uh, get uh, things to the effect of a list of resources, a relationship between resources, and similar. LDAP has been a very successful API, which is used across the board. However, it, uh, um, it was not really suitable to be lifted to the cloud with everything else, mostly because uh, LDAP requires a pretty thick, um, a pretty thick uh, stack. Let's say that in order to use LDAP, you need a pretty complicated library, let's say. I won't say complicated, actually, but you do need a library. 
Whereas uh, in the cloud, uh, we wanted to op optimize for reach. And so we wanted to ensure that uh, you can access this functionality, querying the directory, from uh, any device. And so we opted for uh, recreating uh, that functionality and extending it even further using a REST API. So a Graph API is really an um, data API, which allows you to um, expose uh, queries, to, like uh, perform queries to the directory just using any REST client. The other aspect which made LDAP not really a good fit for cloud scenarios is the uh, use of um, username and password and in general, strong credentials. Like when you think about a traditional Active Directory, normally this directory is managed by one or like a number of administrators which have a direct access to the domain controller through their credentials. They just need to sign in as administrator and then they just have a direct access. But as I mentioned earlier, this new directory has to deal with much more distributed scenarios in which, for example, one application might need to gain some delegated access to the directory, but uh, uh, maintaining some limits. Let's say that uh, you want to be able to limit what uh, this uh, intermediary can do so that uh, it can perform its business function without really giving it uh, more rights than it needs to be. So if I'm buying a SaaS application, I will trust that app to perform its function, but uh, I will not want to give more uh, access to it. And if I do this through a REST API, then I can take advantage of OAuth, which allows me to give fine-grained delegated access. So I can work with tokens, and these tokens can contain just the permissions that I want to grant and nothing more. And with LDAP, this would have been very difficult, or actually, I would say, impossible. So the Graph API uh, occupies the same ecological niche, if you will, but uh, uh, of LDAP, but uh, for another ecology, a bigger ecology, which is uh, the ecology of uh, cloud-based solutions. LDAP is, is a standard. Is this Graph API also a standard so other vendors will implement that? Uh, LDAP is a standard, although I don't remember the exact uh, uh, RFC number. And uh, it has been used for many years. So there are multiple products from multiple companies mm. that take advantage of it. Yeah, but how, can, the, how about our new Graph API then? Will it also be a standard so other vendors will use that? Or is it just one Microsoft thing? That is an excellent question. I have not, uh, um, I don't know. I can uh, ask and get back to you. I will say that uh, it is based, like the Graph API, is just uh, based on OData, which is instead a standard. So you can think of this as a just like a domain-specific application of OData, so that uh, when you use an OData query, then you just happen to be uh, manipulating uh, groups, uh, users, uh, and uh, uh, relationships. But in the end, all you're doing is a standard OData protocol. So in a way, I'd say it already is a standard. That's very good. That's actually a very uh, great answer because that sort of uh, takes the pressure off of this this uh, fact that that it's just uh, OData is the big thing and and this is a, this is like a, a domain within uh, or a usage of OData uh, within uh, uh, for, for identity purposes uh, or talking to the Azure AD in this in this scenario. Uh, 
That's awesome. Um, so uh, basically, if, if somebody now has, an, if, if they today have an on-premise AD and uh, are using LDAP services and LDAP things uh, in, in their applications and so forth, uh, moving these applications to Azure would require some rework. Yes, if I would move them as is, that would require some rework. There are alternatives. Let's say that if you'd use uh, IIS, then uh, you would uh, um, potentially just use uh, the same uh, infrastructure. Like uh, you can have uh, your domain controller in the cloud and similar. So depending on what is the reason for which you are moving your app, if you are moving your app uh, just for doing server consolidation, chances are that you are just going to start uh, VMs and uh, just run these apps in the cloud, in which case right. you can just keep using uh, uh, the AD in the same way in which you use it today. But if uh -huh. instead you are pushing these to the cloud because you want to take advantage of these new scenarios, then yeah, along the various uh, uh, modifications that you love to do for making the app, for example, multi-tenant, because like uh, if you had this app uh, on-premises and it was designed to work with AD, it could not have been multi-tenant, so you'll have to refactor it anyway. As right. part of this refactoring, you'd have to also go and find the various places where you are calling LDAP and you'd have to call the graph. Right, right. But uh, so is this a common scenario that you see in, in Azure? Are uh, a lot of organizations running their domain controller as a on a virtual machine in Azure, or is this a, a, a rare occasion? Well, when it usually happens, I always uh, deflect the questions to my uh, ADFS uh, colleagues because uh, I am not a very good administrator. Actually, uh -huh. I'm not uh, a an administrator at all. <laughs> and so uh, every time it's an uh, um, infrastructure question, I deflect it. But okay. uh, I know that uh, in general, when people do server consolidation, that is uh, a possibility. It's right. usually not uh, as common when you are instead doing things to the effect of... Uh, writing uh, applications that are really meant to be run in the cloud. Then at that point, like uh, all of those are new apps, or they are already configured to not have uh, dependencies of infrastructure because otherwise they could not have operated. And so at that point, uh, usually people had to do some hacks and they welcome the presence of uh, the graph because uh, that uh, um, eliminates the need to do hacks like, for example, uploading uh, CSV files with uh, all the settings mm. that you would normally read through LDAP yeah. that, you, that you couldn't because you are in the cloud. And instead, mm. the graph allows them to be up to date. Also, like here, I'm uh, skipping many details, but uh, this library is really designed for, sorry, library, this API is designed for um, really high intensive use. Like, for example, there is this feature which we call differential query, in which you can hit your directory and get uh, all of your uh, assets. And then uh, if you repeat the query shortly afterwards and something changed, instead of getting the entire thing, you just get the delta so that uh, uh, you reduce uh, your traffic. Those are all things that uh, would be impossible with traditional APIs. And instead, you get uh, with these APIs that are born for being run in the cloud. So mm -hmm. lots of advantages to move to the new model. Uh, how how about federation? Because um, I got questions about: Do I need to to put my users in the cloud now? Do I need to store my uh, usernames and password and export them to 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 Azure AD to to get them to work? And many are a bit afraid about that. 
Well, here there is a the good news. Uh, when you use the Azure AD and you already have an investment in on-premises AD, then uh, you can still just uh, manage your on-prem AD and uh, we will just automatically create a projection of your on-prem directory in the cloud. And if you do not want to keep any credentials in the cloud, you can happily keep everything on-premises. And then uh, you have what we call a federated tenant. Let's say that every time somebody tries to access a certain app, they get redirected to the uh, authentication endpoints in the cloud. But as soon as those endpoints discover that uh, the user is coming from your federated tenant, then instead of verifying the credentials directly, the user will be redirected on-premises so that you can keep your username and passwords only on-premises. They never have to go to the cloud, and yet you still reap the advantages of uh, having a presence in the cloud. Let's say that you still have this projection, so if you have an application that runs in the cloud, they can go against these uh, instance, but uh, you still maintain all the credentials on-premises. Now, there are certain customers that uh, um, don't want to do that, mostly because they want to avoid setting up an ADFS. And right. like, uh, usually it's like a smaller shops for which uh, they are uh, less concerned about uh, security. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, basically, uh, then you can opt in to have uh, these uh, settings, uh, I would say, copied up into the, into the cloud. And then at that point, if you have your username and password copied in the cloud, of course, with uh, all the various, I would say, industry standard grade uh, best practices, like salted, encrypted, and everything, uh, then you don't need to set up an ADFS on-premises. And also, if for some reason your ADFS on-premises is down, you can always uh, fall back as a backup to the cloud. But it's completely up to you. Like, if you are not comfortable with your credentials going up and you are okay setting up your ADFS, you can happily do so. That's great. So the happy path for, for identities uh, moving towards Azure, then. Uh, the, uh, you have the on-premise AD. You don't have any uh, Office 365 or anything yet, so you don't, in fact, have then an, uh, an, uh, an AD tenant in the cloud. What would be the uh, quick happy path of, of uh, getting... Uh, your applications uh, in in Azure. Let's say that somebody else is migrating the application to Azure. Uh, we, we used to be an on-premise thing. Now we're going to host it in Azure, and and we need to integrate uh, security. What's the quick and happy path to to be able to do that? Well, the good news is that uh, if you have a Windows Azure subscription, you already have an uh, Azure AD instance. It's yes. right in place because uh, uh, now. Uh, all of our uh, past services are powered by Azure AD. So in order for you to be recognized, we actually put uh, your user in, uh, in one directory. So yep. you already have a directory. And Correct. then uh, you have multiple ways of taking advantage of this. Uh, the currently released uh, approach is to use the tight integration that Visual Studio 2013 has with um, Azure AD. All the ASP.NET templates that uh, you'd use for creating your apps already contain a wizard, which at creation time allows you to specify one Azure ID tenant. And uh, if you specify that, basically the template will automatically create one entry for your application in Azure ID, and it will generate the code in your app, in your project, 
so that uh, upon first uh, uh, access to the app, the user will be automatically redirected to AD, automatically with the right settings, all of that stuff. So that's uh, the, how to say, currently supported path. Right. That said, we are working on the next generation of our uh, libraries for performing that functionality. And uh, we are adding to um, the ASP.NET uh, um, OWIN framework, like to the ASP.NET components that uh, take advantage of a new OWIN pipeline, various components that are designed to help you to connect your app very, very, very easily to not just Azure AD, but to any provider that supports WS Federation or OpenID Connect. And uh, in that case, uh, you don't have uh, template support yet. You need to do a couple of things by hand. But the good news is that those things are very simple. And uh, I'm happy to provide links so that uh, you can add them at the bottom in the description of the podcast. Uh, um you talked about providers, and for me, a provider is, for example, of course, Azure AD, but also Facebook and Twitter and Microsoft Live accounts and such things. Uh, what if I should uh, do a new service, for example, an Azure mobile services, and I want to have user accounts and authorization and such things? Uh, why should I use uh, Azure AD instead of, for example, Facebook or Twitter? Well, it really depends on the kind of application that you are doing. Like uh, Azure AD is uh, the way in which you can take advantage of your uh, organization. So if the uh, application that you are writing is an application that has to do with the business of your company, then Azure AD will uh, give you, uh, like will allow you to latch to whatever uh, infrastructure you already have. So for example, your users are already organized per groups and per roles and similar. So if you use Azure AD, you'll already take advantage of that. Or once a user gets provisioned in the directory, it will automatically be able to call your app as opposed to creating entries and stuff like that. And that's one aspect. The other aspect is that if I am a SaaS vendor, like if I'm creating an application that I want to sell to other organizations rather than for my own employees, if this application is a business-grade application, then if I target Azure AD, then uh, I will be able to address a, a big market of business customers. Like all the people that bought Office 365 are potentially uh, in the position of uh, just doing one click for buying my application instead of having a complex setups and similar. So that would be another big advantage that uh, you might want to look at. Now, if your application instead is completely consumer-oriented, as in, uh, I don't know, say that you're doing your own uh, blog engine uh, just for coming out with something, or like you have a, in, uh, a forum uh, component that you want people to embed in their own blogs so that they can deal uh, with your forum. Those things are usually targeted to individuals. And so at that point, uh, you might be better off to target Facebook simply because like uh, pretty much every individual has Facebook. So here the key difference is, uh, do you care about the individual or do you care about the individual as part of a certain organization? Nothing prevents you from using AAD anyway in that case, but I'd say that uh, it really shines when you are trying to <coughs> leverage these in a business context, both as your own app 
if you are a, your, your own enterprise, your own company, or as an ISV, as I'm trying to sell these to organizations. Hmm. Well, that's, that's a great uh, couple of points right there. Uh, in fact, I had that as, an, as a side note here, the uh, ecosystem of, of applications and, and vendors and et cetera, who have, have already provided, there's a, there's a way to go in uh, to the Azure Active Directory and say, I'd like to add an application that my organization is using or would like to use. And all of a sudden that would then uh, enable connection to, from uh, our uh, AD users into that application. And I can have, uh, as a manager, uh, as an IT pro, I can have uh, organizational control of which users connect to what apps and use which uh, applications and so forth. That, that was actually a part of the uh, announcements on, uh, well, actually it was a new announcement, that, but the, they were showing stuff uh, around that at the TechEd keynote today. And, Very nice. And yeah, that, that, was, that was brilliant. And the, um, uh, what I'd like to highlight here uh, was the point that you said about being able to target all of Office 365 uh, users, uh, basically one cl click version of uh, starting to uh, consume my, my service. Um, tell us a little bit more about that because that's a great uh, opportunity for, for uh, people who are developing services. Well, here the main point is uh, normally when you write a SaaS application in traditional fashion, the, one of the most uh, uh, painful aspects is to onboard your customer. Let's say that you can create all your app and you can uh, say, try to be as generic as possible, but in the end, when the rubber hits the road, you need to uh, have users from your target organization to be able to sign in using their own directory and then present something to your app so that you can accept them and then work with them. And mm -hmm. uh, in the traditional world, this is facilitated by federation protocols. But uh, there is still some work uh, to be done because uh, every administrator installs uh, ADFS or uh, any other, uh, to say, identity provider software in the way that works and fits best to them. So every time that uh, you want to connect to those guys, you have to um, customize somehow the process so that you can uh, account for all those differences. Whereas when you go through AAD, rather than working with directly their on-prem instance, which could be like its own special snowflake, you work with a projection in the cloud, which not only is uniform and consistent, because like everybody gets the same projection, but also there are APIs that are designed to do these kind of things. So for example, you as a developer can create an application and publish it. And then in order for an administrator to decide to start using that application, they can just simply try to access this app. And then the system, like this directory and meta directory, like this thing that knows both about your directory as the developer and their directory as the customer, can actually present them with one experience which says, you are trying to access this application, which asks for the following permissions and you get the list of permissions. And if the administrator says yes, then this meta directory can actually take the right settings and deploy these automatically in the cloud so that there is really no need to create custom access or custom manipulation of the target directory. The system is already designed so that this thing can automatically be made available in the target directory of your customer. 
And so for them, it's literally just a click. Like, there is no infrastructure cost. And that's great because also they maintain the control. Like, say that the administrator decides that uh, they don't like what your application is doing, and so just for being safe, they want to revoke access. They can still use the exact same mechanism, the exact same uh, portal, to go in the portal and say, revoke access to this app. Hmm. Again, without you as the ISV having to worry about uh, providing that functionality. And I'll go even further. All this uh, is uh, based on the administrator. So if you'd use uh, traditional flows, then uh, it might be a bit more painful for you to automate all those processing, but it would be possible. But the thing that it is absolutely not possible with the traditional flows would be to enable individual users. Like uh, if uh, an individual user wants to start uh, using a certain application without going through uh, the administrator, in Azure AD, actually, we provide that possibility. Let's say that given that OAuth is all based <coughs> on giving consent, for certain permissions that are not, uh, to say, high privilege, the individual user can land on an application and decide to start using the app and leverage their own infrastructure instead of having to create a new user and a password and similar, and all reusing the provisioning system that AD offers. So for you as the ISV, this is a great, great way of putting the foot in the door because when you are in many, many, like many users from an organization use your app in this way, then you kind of have like a upsell path in which you can go to the administrator and say, hey, look at all these users. Perhaps you wanted to make this an official app. But even mm -hmm. if they don't, you are still enjoying all of the individual sales of all the people that bought this app and that normally would not have been able to if they would have had to provision these through the administrator. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, Vittoria, we are uh, running up around one hour soon. So Magnus, do you have uh, some question left? or? Well, the... Uh, the uh... The the interesting part here is that this is a this is a huge service, of course, the identity, uh, the Azure Active Directory, and all all of these things, and then it's extremely central to to Azure. Now, uh, the the I, I don't want to sound like a Microsoft salesperson per se, but I, but the follow up question is interesting. Now, the uh, Azure AD as such uh, doesn't have uh, it, it doesn't cost anything to the organization, uh, Vittorio. That is correct. So it's for free. And therefore, um, the, um, we know, of course, that the Azure AD, it's, it came out of uh, the AD we needed to, or Microsoft needed to use to create in order to, uh, to create the Office 365. That was the creation, uh, the inception of the Azure AD, right? That is correct. Like, so uh, two, two correct ones. So the, the, um, the SLA and the, um, the performance metrics and the uh, availability story there, uh, everything will just work and, you, and uh, we know that you guarantee this how? Um, so that is a very, very good uh, clarifying question. So as you mentioned, uh, all of the capabilities that uh, I described until now, and uh, just to be clear, that's like uh, barely scratching the surface, there's uh, much more, Absolutely. are uh, provided for free as long as uh, you have a Windows Azure subscription that uh, your uh, number of objects that you put in the directory is below a certain amount, which I believe is 150,000 objects. 
but uh, we can uh, we can go and verify it. We have it in our uh, SLA documents. However, if you are uh, using the free version, like the one that we just described, there is no SLA. That's to say right. that uh, uh, that's a service which clearly will do our best to keep up. But uh, we have uh, another tier of a service which we call AD Premium, which uh, provides uh, more advanced capabilities, especially for uh, the administrators, like uh, support for multi-factor off for also non-admin users, like many of uh, uh, many of those functionalities. And that uh, version also has an SLA. So in the event of uh, like issues, they, of course, the customers that are paying for the uh, premium uh, edition will have a priority in terms of SLA. Great. Well, that, that sort of explains it because it sounds uh, a lot too good to be true. I mean, it, it, the uh, identity story is, is almost uh, an instance where something that sounds too good to, to be true actually isn't. It is that good. But but the but if you yeah really I was want going to, to say like uh, <laughs> it really is want... actually in, uh, like yeah. the, the, that doesn't mean that you are left in the cold uh, like yeah. this is still uh, like a world class uh, probably the biggest service on the planet of this yeah. type and yeah. uh, uh, I have to say if you used it you will uh, you'll know that uh, like that's actually <laughs> I'd say it's pretty stable is a euphemism it's yeah. really 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 good yeah. uh, so in general it's simply that. Uh, it's a matter of like if you want a commercial guarantee or yep. if uh, like uh, you are, uh, I would say, you know, or if you are okay with an uh, normal, like what normally happens. Like right. That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. That that sort of sums it up, I think. Yeah, I have just one question about you, Vittorio. You have talked about multi-factoring authorization or, or authentication. Oh, my, my tongue is uh, killing me here. Uh, <laughs> what's that? And uh, this is part of the premium version of Azure Directory. So we have, uh, um, in our service, we have uh, easy ways for you to introduce uh, multiple authentication factors. So that, uh, for example, you can uh, have uh, certain users or certain applications that uh, um, require the user to uh, not only provide the username and password, but also, for example, pick up uh, a phone for uh, receiving an automated call for verifying that they have access to the phone or enter a code which they receive via SMS again on the code. Now, this is a service that you get uh, for AD Premium for uh, all apps. Like if you have AD Premium, you can uh, use it on all apps and there is a specific uh, pricing for that. But uh, for the non-AD Premium, you can actually... Uh, for individual administrators assign that capability. So that instead of like for every user, if you just say this administrator, given that he is an administrator, uh, he needs every time he signs in to use multiple authentication factor, then uh, it's very easy to set up. Like when you go and you create a user in AD, you can go and just uh, change a couple of checkboxes. And one thing that is very interesting is that uh, traditionally, Native applications like rich clients or uh, tablet applications or uh, phone apps have been uh, difficult to use with multiple authentication factors. Well, given the approach that we are using with AAD, which is based on OAuth, we actually uh, are in the position of uh, waving in these capabilities very easily because uh, when you are using those apps and you are using our libraries, 
At a certain point during the authentication process, we will actually pop out a dialogue which contains a browser. And this browser can paint whatever UI it wants. So if you are using an administrative user which has been configured to use a multiple authentication factor, you'll be able to take advantage of that feature also from rich clients. So that uh, uh, you, if you, for example, you need some kind of a certification which says uh, these users can only access my system if they are using 2FA, like two uh, authentication factors, then you can also guarantee it not only in the browser, but uh, on all devices, which uh, our customers really, really love. Yeah. Okay. A, a feature of that that I, which I really like is, uh, and I don't know if that's in production yet, uh, but the, the feature of, of uh, being uh, ha having rules for this so that if a user signs in to the uh, domain at, at, his, at the office, then uh, multiple factors uh, are not required perhaps. But if he signs in from home or in the uh, coffee shop in Thailand, then uh, multi-factor authentication is definitely required. Yeah, we have that feature as well. That's that's a great feature. That really that nails it for me because it's it's always when you are not uh, in the in the uh, trusted domain that you need the multi-factor authentication. Yeah, one thing that you get with uh, the uh, AD Premium are uh, machine learning reports. Like right. uh, AD uh, monitors how your users access the directory, and uh, it searches for patterns. And then uh, when people delve from patterns, then uh, it warns you and uh, it gives you the ability of uh, controlling uh, how to react to those things. And yeah. especially for big enterprises, that is uh, a very, very, very useful thing to do because there is a, a wealth of information on uh, how users uh, access things that uh, is usually untapped because uh, traditional systems uh, do not have a capability of feeding that information to machine learning algorithms. Right. And instead, now that you are in the cloud, another of the big advantages that we have is that we can do these like uh, high technology feats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this is just, I, we could go on and on and on. Uh, I suppose you and I having a conversation, Vittorio, would be preaching to the choirs because we have much of the same knowledge and, and, and uh, interest in this space. Of course, you, you being the, the knowledge god on, on identity and me being just an interested party. But still, that we could go on for days. Um, so I guess maybe we should start wrapping up. Yeah, and I really yeah. want to thank you, Vittorio, to, to help me understand the Azure Active Directory because i always a bit scared about identity and Active Directory. For me, that has been a big server, hard to install, hard to, to develop and how to uh, hard to use. But uh, now it seems to be something that even I, as a simple developer, can use. So I, I'm really glad that we took the time with you, Victoria. And of course, thank you, Magnus, to be my co-host. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you for having me and uh, giving me an opportunity to blabber about AD. As you can <laughs> hear, I'm very, very excited about it. And uh, yeah. I'm glad you think it's easy. And uh, uh, let's keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.